0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to an all new and final episode of Suiting Up Season 3, presented by Public.com and OutSystems. I'm your host, Paul Rabel. First of all, shout out to all of you who have listened to this season. We've had so much support pour in from our team here at HQ to the interviewees and their respective teams, but most importantly, your critical listening and feedback. It only makes us better. More on the season and the recap in the outro, because I don't want to hog any more time from our final guest. One who was a top presidential candidate this past year, though more importantly, he would add, most certainly, is the public service work he's done so far in his young career. Let's start with the relevance to the show. Senator Cory Booker was a nationally ranked top high school football player out of the state of New Jersey. He was recruited by the best institutions in the land, one being the great Lou Holtz out of Notre Dame though he elected to attend Stanford to play and study, and we share a story about a moment on the Gridiron where he made a dash towards Touchdown Jesus in South Bend. Tied to sports in each of our careers, though, sometimes it doesn't go as planned. And while Corey had dreams of playing in the NFL, he mainly struggled in his career at Stanford and was eventually released from the team his senior year. It was a devastating moment he talks about with us on the show, yet he turned it into a life-changing positive. Corey has always quote, saw the light with academia. Meaning if you're a parent with a student athlete right now who's getting recruited to play top ball in college, you also know the benefits of getting through the college admissions process, which is highly competitive into a top institution. And that disproportionate value placed to a college degree, while most of us athletes like Corey are focused on playing for a championship and eventually making it into the pros, you parents see the light. What we also don't realize, though, is how difficult balancing Division I, II, and Three ball, year-round practice times, games in the season, film study, morning runs, and lifts, I can recall it like it was yesterday, met with those high demands of schoolwork, exams, and ideally, ideally, a cultivated social life, which is also really rare for a student-athlete in college. The senator uniquely saw that opportunity early on, And he worked 20-hour days between his practice and game schedule to his schoolwork and then volunteering. So why is all this background relevant? Senator Cory Booker has been championing the College Athletes' Bill of Rights in Congress, understanding personally how the NCAA's billion-a-year business has been ignoring the true sense of capitalism in a way that leaves many players without compensatory rights to their name, image, and likeness, without important care like health insurance, and in many cases even unable to exercise their freedom of choice to transfer schools without penalty, all things many of their undergrad peers get, and most certainly their coaches. We also talk on youth sports, the barriers to enter due to cost of equipment and registration fees. We give some recommendations on how to lower those barriers. And finally, his current role in government, emphasized by the importance of working together. He truly characterizes such efforts and has been often criticized by members of his party for keeping relationships with members of the other. He's known for his lunches and meetings with former Governor Chris Christie to currently Senator Whitaker of Iowa, Senator Moran of Kansas, and Senator Tim Scott. I only hope I can get more time with leaders like Senator Booker and many of our other guests from this season. Each conversation is packed with so much wisdom and utility. So here is episode 15, the final one of this season, featuring former Stanford football player turned mayor of New Jersey, now its senator, Cory Booker. Today's show is made possible by our presenting sponsors, FirstPublic.com. They offer a whole new way to invest. Public makes the stock market social, so you and I can follow other investors, discover companies to believe in, and invest with any amount of our money. Check out Public.com today. Use forward slash suiting up for $10 in stock from me. And system company that provides tools to help companies quickly build apps from web to mobile to solve for your business needs and ours at the PLL. We use OutSystems today. Check out OutSystems.com. Senator Booker, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today.
1: Uh, Thank you. Are you kidding me? I'm I'm grateful to be on with you. Uh, You are a a legend of uh, athletics in a way that uh, is inspiring to me. So, it's kind of cool and my staff was so geeking out on your career so i um, just grateful to have a chance to connect with you
0: well i appreciate that i'm i feel very fortunate i'm sitting here just as as an athlete getting an opportunity to talk to a u.s senator presidential candidate and student athlete himself and i think that's where we'll start as we're going to spend a lot of time today talking about the bill that you're champion in the college athletes bill of rights but before that, and congratulations to your alma mater, Stanford Women's Basketball, for taking the national title. First time in 29 years I saw you tweet about it. Did you have a chance to watch it or celebrate? Both.
1: And uh, you I was there during the days of Jennifer Azzie, And th- those, those were my last years. That's how long ago I was in school uh, at Stanford. So I was there when the women's team was would come on the court with us football players and school us. Yeah, And so it's just nice to see the come full circle back to a Another national title.
0: And it was the Stanford women's sports performance coach, Ali Kirshner, who was the first to tweet out these egregious discrepancies between the men's and women's basketball programs that were in this three-week bubble during the NCAA March Madness Tournament. It started with that weight room photo, and then there was discrepancies around meals to gift bags and so on and so forth. Title IX stretches back to 1972. Uh, prohibit sex-based discrimination in any school or other education program that receives federal money. But this seems to be an ongoing issue. The NCAA, they're reviewing it independently. What's your assessment around the way that the NCAA interacts with things like gender and equality to, obviously we'll get to name, image, and likeness?
1: You know, from my playing days, I had a lot of frustration. There was a lot of lip service given to issues of equity, of expanding opportunity, like this was a a great deal. But clearly um, what I've seen over the decades since I've played that th- there's a, a very dark side to college athletics, a dark side to the NCAA, a, f- a focus far more on the money. We call it amateurism, but it's a, a 15 to 20 billion dollar industry. Wow. And we have work, a lot of work to do to repair what I think has been significant exploitation. And then just the ideals of Congress acting with Title IX um, have not been fulfilled. And it's a, it's it's unfortunate that I've seen on a number of times that the NCAA has to be shamed. You know, when Shabazz Napier in another NCAA tournament came out and said, I can't afford food, Mm -hmm. and yet he just filled seats and made millions and millions of dollars for the NCAA itself, who runs the tournament, suddenly that problem was solved really quick. And so why does it take uh, athletes themselves exposing the sheer unfairness of this system in order to address it?
0: I want your opinion. I remember sitting post the 2016 election and having an opportunity to listen to former President Obama talk about diversity and inclusion in the workplace, in politics, in business, in sports. Sport happened to be, and still is, largely as an industry that's dominated in the workplace by white males. And there are three steps in crisis management that I learned from Professor Galloway, it talks about acknowledge that the problem exists, your role in it, and then overcorrect. However, doing the bare minimum, I've found, if you're hiring women in uh, a sports industry, or if you're hiring a black, indigenous person of color in the sports industry, if you're not doing that at scale, then your employees are gonna feel isolated. So he said in this speech, not eight, not nine, 10 times out of 10, you will land on the right decision when your entire cabinet or your board is fully diverse. What should companies or leagues or industries be doing to ensure that inclusion in the workplace, hiring practices, just suggestions that, that you have?
1: Well, so first of all, I want you to know we are a society still evolving towards what we, what we intrinsically or objectively know is the truth. From Harvard Business School case studies I saw some reports from McKinsey, one of the large consulting firms, they've all shown that diverse teams are higher performing teams. Heck, American history, when we got hidden figures to sit at the same table as NASA astronauts, we literally defying gravity there. And all of us, before we point fingers, should look within the United States Senate. I'm the fourth black person ever popularly elected to that institution. Obama was three, Carol mosley Braun was two, and then Burke was one. When I got to that institution in 2013, Halloween, I was sort of stunned walking around looking in big committees, the Judiciary Committee, and I could not find uh, an African-American, for example, sitting anywhere in the room, staffers, what have you. And so I knew right away, and I had a great ally in a guy named, a senator named Brian Schatz from Hawaii, that we had to change this because if they're not in the room when it happens, as Hamilton says, when all of this policy, especially the Judiciary Committee, is being made that disproportionately impacts the lives of minority communities and minorities themselves. There's something wrong. So what did we do? Well, we went to Schumer and to his credit, he was uh, happy. He did it with alacrity as they say. We we said to him, we need to create systems of accountability. So we know you and I both know, having played competitive athletics, that there's some tough accountability. If You want to be wide receiver at Stanford, the standard, you have to have a clear standard first part fast. You gotta be fast. Yeah. The second thing, which we know in sports, you have to be able to measure it. And then the third part of, uh, of accountability, which is the most important thing, there's got to be consequences for failure. So if that stopwatch, that measure didn't show what was right, I would not get on the field. Well, we, we lack that in many things. So I asked Schumer, the first thing I want to do is if our standard of the lip service of Democratic senators is we believe in inclusion, yet the Senate Democratic offices are not diverse let's create real accountability, let's, oh, let's measure it. So we're gonna force every center, he did this, to document the diversity on their staff and publish it. And then the accountability for people that need the votes of minority communities to win often uh, is gonna be real electoral accountability. So guess what's happened every time we've published that list? Every year, the number of women and minorities hired in the United States Senate, especially in offices that count, changed. Hmm. So, so corporate America should be doing the same thing. From there, there should be lists of boards. I know one, another Senate colleague of mine, uh, my senior Senator Bob Menendez, tries to publish the data of corporate boards to start creating more accountability. Uh, there should be consequences when we are failing to do this, and more. And and the NCAA, which is an institution that is a strange institution, I can't think of anywhere, in, and I'm a free market capitalist guy, I can't think of anywhere in America where a multi-billion dollar businesses that the people who actually create the profit through their artistry, through their genius, through their athleticism, share none of the profits of that multi-billion dollar industry. And in an industry where those producers of, of what we consume are disproportionately people of color, that when you actually take the time to look under the hood Black male athletes have dramatically lower graduation rates. I had a long conversation yesterday with a former athletic director at a major division one school who was telling me stories, I, I thought I knew how bad it was, just telling me stories of how unconscionably used up these kids are. Very small fraction of them make it to the NFL, so these are their some of their highest potential earning years, but more than that they end up graduating Without a degree, had been hustled through classes, maybe not only not a good degree, but not an appropriate education for the years they spent in those institutions. They have to go back in their own pockets if they want to come back and get college credits. They often are nursing injuries, like you mm. and I might have, that plague you for you know, you have to, a shattered kneecap, a spinal injury, a, a head injury that you have to go in your own pocket and pay for. So, this is a, the perverse, most perverse lack of accountability, lack of free market principles. And to me, for the integrity of sport, somebody who actually does believe in the beauty, the honor, the the, the justice in in American sports, which from Arthur Ashe to Muhammad Ali have been places where Blacks have been able to compete once they knocked down, Jackie Robinson knocked down the barriers in in a system that's generally fair. Why are we allowing the NCAA to so pervert these principles and ideals and have such disparate outcomes for, for all athletes, but also disproportionately black and, and brown.
0: Okay, we're going to take a quick break in this conversation with Senator Booker to talk about one of our presenting partners. It is public.com. They're an investing social network. It's a free app to download, and you can own the companies you believe in and share ideas with a community of investors. My first stock I ever bought was in Chipotle. I cannot give you financial advice whether or not to do that now or even then, but I remember buying the stock after it went public my sophomore year, getting approval from my father with only a handful of dollars. I think the stock was 40 bucks at the time, so it was more than a handful, but I just really liked the product and it turned out pretty great. I can't say that all of my investments have gone that well, but each of my investments on public.com are long-term and I encourage you to do the same if you haven't already. You can follow me there on their social network, I'm at Paul Rabel. There are other people on the platform like Tony Hawk who's been a guest and Scott Galloway who's been a guest of the show, but The Breakfast Club's Angela Yee. That community that's built in gives us learning opportunities, opportunities to talk about the different companies that we believe in, market trends, benefits, and so on and so forth. Public.com also takes no commission fees on standard trades. So there are no account minimums to get started. You can invest in literally thousands of publicly traded companies for as little as $1. That is unique and very, very cool. So sign up at public.com forward slash suiting up today. I will personally get you started with $10 in free stock so you can try it and see it for yourself. All of this is valid for U.S. residents 18 and older and subject to account approval. You can check out public.com forward slash disclosures for more. That's public.com forward slash suiting up to access that deal. I, I want to use this moment to get into the College Athletes Bill of Rights and we'll unpack that. But first, a thought that you spawned is of your three steps to creating a more diverse and inclusive culture, which wins 10 out of 10 times, there was the accountability, but there's also in sport, I think about the nature of winning and the attraction that people have, owners at the NBA and the NFL to winning, how they'll overspend, they'll take fines to get there. Because of the people that you had mentioned, Arthur Ashe to even Billie Jean King and the Williams sisters more recently and Colin Kaepernick, LeBron and Steph. Sports used to not be that way. During the Jim Crow era all the way through, I mean, it was, it was highly segregated. However, it turned to a place where competition and winning prevailed and enabled over time with the right oversight and committees and, and legislation to create a, a, an ecosystem where the ball don't lie like the best players will play most of the time?
1: Well, first of all, and I hope you and I, this is not the last of our conversations, uh, publicly or privately, we have legislation out about trying to correct for something that's really scary to me about sports right now, is that kids, the cost of actually getting on a field in America today mm. to be in sport is really disadvantages kids from low-income environments. Mm-hmm. So you have this, and, and you and I both know, uh, I'm a little older than you, but you will even appreciate this, we are so specializing earlier than we used to yes like i was a three-letter athlete in high school we're now seeing people specialize the cost of you know with as public school uh, funding is cut uh the cost of just being able to play i saw some data that literally you're talking hundreds to thousands of dollars in a year of parents have to be able to provide to, to have their children get this the, the expertise that they need now to compete at the college level and some of these kids are going to summer camps and uh have hiring trainers and coaches so we are seeing not the harvesting of the talent of our nation anymore. Hmm. We're now seeing the, the people that are, that are rising are the people that are having disproportionate advantages over others. And then specialized sports that, that I love, from lacrosse to, uh, to water polo, they're, they're very racially segregated as well, and that's problematic.
0: Yep. There, there are a couple of things that I'll add to that. Number one is that over the last decade, sports specialization has eroded participation rates. Sports specialization, the privatization of such, has led to the former because of how enticing it has become to get a scholarship to play at the NCAA level, level which take us back to the College Athlete Bill of Rights. In the revenue sports like basketball and football, the dream is to make it pro because of the million dollars in front of you. But for a lot of parents, a lot of households, just to get access to education is worth that push. But when the market became private at the youth level, you have club coaches and operators that are dangling the carrot that I have access to these coaches and if you pay $5,000 for the season with me, then you'll get access to those coaches. What Sports Specialization has done is made fewer of us out there that played four or five sports all the way through you know, high school, certainly middle school, into just one. So you have less of an opportunity to meet new people, to get access to different coaches, to try different motor skills. But the worst part of this, I don't have studies to refer to, but this is my gut and from conversations on the ground with a lot of operators, as rec has diminished because of the privatization of youth sports, it used to be, okay, club teams were there. If you're good enough, then you're going to make that club team. But rec is still an option. It has become for Gen Zs and Gen Alphas uncool to play rec sports. And we have to figure out as an industry how to revitalize rec. Because a lot of it, as you know, from you know being so savvy in media is taking advantage of, of those forms of different mediums to revitalize. And I think that collectively as leagues, what we can do to push down because the margins in these, pri- that's, that's what's so difficult about these, they're beasts, they're juggernauts.
1: And so you think about the wealth, this is one athletic leader was telling me about just like the reserves that the NCAA keeps of extraordinary wealth, more than probably you and I, if we were on a private board would say, why are you holding on to this kind of money? And then go to me, imagine I was just elected the mayor of New Jersey's largest city in the middle of a, a global recession. And I will never forget going to a baseball field in Newark, which was just a dirt field and having one of the parents chew me out. I'm a new mayor. And just saying my children, when they travel to other towns that are some of them, not more than a few miles away and see the facilities and the, and, and the things that these children get, and then they come home, what does that do to my kids, even just level of self-esteem? And so I, we didn't have the money in my budget. I, I literally had to lay off you know, hundreds of my staff in City Hall just to try to make ends meet. And you took an, uh, your own salary cut too. Yes. And and so we ended up going out and I used to tell people, I don't care. I'll name a swing set after you. We just started going on a philanthropic effort. and We were able to redo a lot of our athletic fields, but a lot of folks, there's so much money in sport, but it is not when it gets down to the young people, as you're saying, it's just not the opportunities aren't equal. And so I, I came to Washington for a lot of reasons going from being a mayor. I'm, one of the few people in American history to go straight from being a mayor to being a United States Senator. But I went with a certain mission. And one of it just is born from the fact that I would not be here before you right now if it wasn't for sport. And I got lucky growing up in the 80s uh, to be before the specialization hit. And so I was the most overrated high school football player in the in the world, all American who- That's not true. I, I, I always joke that I got into Stanford because of 4.0 and 1,600, 4.0 yards per carry, 1,600 receiving yards. And I know I was made by sport. But from the time I landed at Stanford, um, which was an incredible university that really believed in kids getting an education and treated me as a whole individual, but I, I immediately started seeing that there is something seriously wrong. And it took me, you know, about like 20 years or so to get to the Senate. And I knew that in the same way that Teddy Roosevelt saved college football, people were dying a lot. He called in the leaders that was a precursor to the creation of NCAA, which is supposed to be about protecting athletes, Mm -hmm. that we had to do serious reform if we were going to save a part of our culture, because I think sports is such a part of the American culture, but if we were to save the purity of it, the promise of it, and the potential so more kids could have the kind of opportunities that I did to get a world-class education. I, I will say this, I don't think most of us who consume college athletics understand that we are bystanders to an unjust system by consuming it without voicing to the injustice. Remember, Martin Luther King's famous quote, it's not the vitriolic words and violent actions of the bad people, but the appalling silence and inaction of the good people. And my hope is that, that consciousness begins to raise to understand how wrong this system is in how it treats athletes. And it may not be the people you see, you know, I played with a lot of guys that went into the, went into the NFL, they could get a lot, end up getting a lot of the attention, a lot of focus. And by the way, I think it's wrong. I talked to one NFL player who said, I'm still going back to my university. They're still selling my jersey. I'm not getting any of that. I feel for that guy. I felt for that guy. But the real injustice to me is that you can now have a person in a college dorm where their roommate has a YouTube account or a social media platform talking about that athlete, monetizing that. So they're, they're non athletic kids. It's just like access to sports, monetizing that, getting a revenue stream in college and, and, and if one of the athletes decides to, to put some videos up and gets a small revenue of it, boom, they're done. Their, their NCA will pounce on them as if they had just murdered somebody.
0: Yeah, and that YouTube payment, which is coming from Google, is through what's called AdSense. So that roommate of the college athlete isn't even going out and selling advertisements against their getting a 50-50 split through Google. You're exactly right. I want to read you a quote though from one of your former teammates, Turner Bauer. Oh no!
1: <laughs> and of all those, Turner Bauer has locker next to me. He could destroy my political career, man. Are you sure you want <laughs> He said.
0: He said. <laughs> he said that he could always tell that you were different. And and I'll paraphrase that: the way you moved around campus. Uh, two words that jumped out though is that a wise soul and had a sense of empathy and compassion. My question to you. Despite your humility, you were a USA Today All-American, you were the Gatorade Player of the Year in New Jersey. Through your career at Stanford, and you recruited by Notre Dame and Michigan and had some amazing recruiting trips, but through that journey, deciding to go to Stanford, did you fight with, and if so, how often, the idea of, I wanna play in the NFL or I wanna access everything that's in front of me at Stanford University, knowing that there will be all-nighters because of all of the effort I have to put into being a Division I headcount athlete. And I think that a lot of college athletes can identify with that. So I want to spend a little bit of time of your career at Stanford and how you did go from one of the top recruits to fighting for a spot, having some success on field, and then ultimately stepping away from the team your senior year. We spend so much time talking about the Division I All-Americans, but we don't spend enough time talking about the other 98%.
1: I owe a lot to Denny Green, uh, Brian Billick, who's my position coach, guys like um, uh, uh, Coach Tyrone Willingham, who went on to coach at Notre Dame. Uh, they taught me so much about leadership. We, we went in, and no disrespect to Jack Elway and that operation, but when these guys came in from the 49ers, just like as a student of leadership and systems and all the things that goes, the small things that go to take to win, I owe them a lot. And and then Denny Green came in and and, and saw me riding the bench and said, look at your size. He goes, I'm going to play you and gave me some of the best life experiences possible. But I had already made a decision at Stanford that I was going to have a different kind of experience, that football was not uh, my main priority and that I wanted to be an A student, that I I was driven by social justice issues back then. And from student politics to to doing work. So long story short, and I very rarely talked about this because it was one of, the, at the time, it was one of the most painful things that ever happened to me. But, you know, when God closes one door, he opens up a side of a building sometimes. And that's what happened to me. But by my senior year, I thought for sure I was coming back to get my to, with my fifth year of eligibility. I still remember it was one of the most exciting games I've ever played in. We beat Cal in this game where they, they penalized the, fans for charging the field and moved us up and it was roughing the path And we kicked the field and won. it was an amazing game and i had a good game and I, i'm ready to come back the next season and denny says to me i'm not sure if i'm gonna call you back and i was stunned went home for the holiday and came back and i'll never forget and by this time there was you know some of the little bits and articles in the local in the bay area newspapers and the president of the university found out that wait a minute this guy's a poster child for the university president of the class running nonprofits, and I think went to bat for me but unbeknownst to me I come back and and Denny was right I would stay I was running helping to run a suicide crisis hotline so I'd be up all night on an emergency call come in and play horribly in practice because I didn't sleep so Denny sits me down and says "Um, you can keep your scholarship and I go oh great coach I'm ready he goes no you don't understand we've got a situation where you have a scholarship but you are not playing for my football team and he must have seen me look like my world had just closed in. The first real failure I felt like I faced. It was as if he had plunged a knife in my, my de- the definition of me was a football player for eight years of my life. Mm. And I'll never forget his last words to me, which were tough to swallow as a guy whose view of the world is not in this way, but he goes, uh, you know, son, life's a business. One day you're going to understand that. And my career was over. And I remember walking out and I now get it that a lot of former players have high levels of depression, alcoholism and the like, because your very definition of yourself for all these years, a lot of ego, a lot of center of it all, putting in hours at most 60, 70 hours in season. You're So much of your energy is going into this one thing and now it's over. And I, I literally had reoccurring dreams for a long time. But little did I know, this one of the most powerful professors in my life came up to me and said, Corey, have you ever heard of this thing called the Rhodes Scholarship? And I said, I don't know what that is. And she said, read about it uh, and come back to me. I could have never applied for it, never would have gone over to Oxford and had this experience. So in in some ways, Danny had given me a gift that changed my course of my life. But that idea that life is a business coming from a division one NCAA coach, it coming full circle (laughs) to me now, is uh, pretty powerful in the sense that he's right. Denny's whole career, his, his coaching career, his family's career, the money that is all dependent upon wins and losses. Coach Shaw at Stanford now, who is, I don't want to call him a unicorn because I don't know other coaches. I know this guy with <laughs> the, like the most incredible integrity who really cares about the full development. of. He'll call me up, ask me helping players to get, you know, this person's really in politics. He's an amazing human being. But the NCAA is a business mm-hmm. and, and he's right because his feeding his family and his was dependent on our wins and losses. So I tell you that story, number one, that my journey, I made decisions in my life to go to Stanford because I knew that, that I used to say this as, a, I, I don't know why I got this wise and I think it's really my parents. As a kid, I said, football is my ticket. It is not my destination. Mm. I was very realistic on my chances of making the NFL. And even after Denny didn't invite me back, back in those days, I got letters to go to the Combines. And a guy who st- I started one game over him, like this amazing athlete, made it that way. Was ended up being an NFL late round draft pick. And I thought to myself, maybe I can prove Denny Grain wrong because my ego was all, I'm going to prove this guy wrong. I looked at the NFL stats for for tight ends and positions. I got, I got a there 40 time, I got a squat better bench. I was blessed in the sense that it wasn't my priority and I had built out this life for myself. I was present in my class. I was um, getting involved in running organizations on campus uh, that I never would have gotten. And I knew what my life mission was, which it wasn't to do N- the NFL. So I Stanford was gave me gifts I could never return, yep. but it also opened my eyes to the sheer hypocrisy of college athletics and what's on the line. And I'll give you one example of this concussion protocols. I've been on a field where a player is hurt, should not go back in the game. But I've been one of these people Mm -hmm. looking at the scoreboard, knowing the urgency of that player. Now, what is the, what are we going to do? You and I were athletes on the field and we were athletes ourselves. Sometimes you don't want to pull yourself out. That coach who might be on the bubble of getting hired again, depending on the outcome of the game, where is their incentive? The NCAA has no enforceable protocols on concussions, on sexual harassment. I can go through all the things, no enforceable protocols. And they're leaving it to the the mechanics of human nature, which are to send that kid just took a headshot and he's telling you can go back in and it's a judgment call. What is going to prevail, the safety of that athlete or the big game that's on the line? Yep. And that's what I mean about we. this is a business that has no accountability and decisions are being made that are hurting people, exploiting people.
0: Taking a second break from the show to highlight our second presenting partner, OutSystems. They make applications that make the difference and solve for the needs of your company. OutSystems empowers internal teams to develop and deploy innovative cloud apps for capturing new markets, delivering new services, and winning new customers for you. What does that mean? Well, they basically private label our ability to get an application on the iOS or Android store so that we can access new customers. Building apps are difficult. It's complicated. You need a great UI UX, which is your user interface and your user experience, and they take care of all of that for you. They did it for the PLL last year during our championship series, which was around the medical safety of playing our games during COVID. And we're working with them this year and in years to come. They also work with the likes of Mercedes-Benz, Warner Brothers, Honda, Exxon, and many more reputable companies. So if you're a small one or a large one or somewhere in between, they will work with you with the right pricing. Check out OutSystems.com, a great partner of the PLLs and one that you should consider. And this show was brought to you by science science suggests that universal sleep temperature can give you deep and high quality sleep but how do we get that sleep temperature when we're turning up the ac unit or turning up the heat and that's hitting our airway cycle and it's not hitting our body and we're in and out of the covers i'll pause there eight sleep pod pro has you covered it's the most advanced solution on the market For thermoregulation, it lays over your mattress top. I use it and have been using it for months, and it comes with a wearable tracker so you can understand through analysis the biometric tracking of your sleep. And then you can perform against it so you sleep better. So it comes in both the form of a mattress, if you want, or a cover that you can put on your existing mattress, and you can get that pod and start sleeping as cool as 55 degrees in temperature or as warm as 110. I'm on the cooler side, the result Eight sleep users fall asleep up to 32% faster. They reduce sleep interruptions by 40% and get overall more restful sleep. I pay attention to my heart rate and how low and consistently low I can get. That's typically around 55 beats per minute. And if I have a good maintenance of that with limited disruptions, typically in the 10 to 15 range, deep sleep analysis, 20% of total, I'm recovering at 100%. And it's actually more about that than time in bed, though I shoot for seven and a half to eight hours of sleep. Most of this week has been seven. Now, if you go to eightsleep.com forward slash suiting up, you can go on their website to find the pod pro. That's the mattress liner hooks up to the unit that keeps it cool and tracks your sleep. You'll save $150 at checkout if you use promo code suiting up. That's $150 less the price of the pod pro by using promo code suiting UP. Check it out and let me know. Two things, the first is that your former coach at Stanford saying sport is a business, that's one of the things that I've had to grow out of now being on the business side of running the league. But I'll say that sports train us, and this is a challenge for pro athletes, because we don't talk about what happens to athletes once they become pro, but they go into that system and sometimes get caught in a, in a downward spiral. We're judged by binary outcomes. So it does make sense for a lot of athletes. You either win or you lose. And if you lose, how are you gonna respond? But what I've found in life is it's not binary. It's about actually compromise. And I think what you have done and what you're doing now with the College Athletes' bill of Rights, but what you're doing across an incredibly divisive political environment is finding in the public sector healthy discourse to be effective. So the College Athletes Bill of Rights, as you're mentioning, it's not just about name and image and likeness. It's about healthcare. And then to the point that your coach gave you a scholarship despite not being on the team, yes. most people don't know that our scholarships are year over year. Yeah. So I could have gone to Johns Hopkins and played my freshman year. And then sophomore year, Coach Petromalo been like, you're no longer on scholarship. I'm shit out of luck. So there's a lot of other things beyond NIL. How are you finding your way or what are, what's a tip that you do to navigate policy that you're leading on?
1: Our politics is unfortunately very binary. It's becoming a winner take all environment, which is bad, really, really bad. Yeah. When we are teaching oursel- each other in this society now to hate each other, um, not for a tribalism and not even for substance. I hate when I'm in a crowd and somebody asks me, they're just meeting me, oh, you're Cory Booker, what party are you? And it's as if that's a litmus test to, to whether they should shut off on whatever comes out of my mouth. And so what I learned through sports, and I agree with you that the win or loss is very binary, but what sports gifted me was seeing what team play is all about. That Turner Bauer, I think he's still a Republican. He is um, grew up in a very different environment. Uh, we both were sort of w- w- rather well off kids from the suburbs, but I'm a black guy, he's a white guy. All the differences in the world would have thought we wouldn't be brothers that would would die for each other. That's an exaggeration. Would, would, would sacrifice for each other. But being on a team, you have different people, different faith, different uh, politics. It, it shears all of that away as you bleed and sweat and work together for a common goal. And you, you and I both know those players who were so selfless in trying to cater, care for, and empower others. The lessons I got from the people I played with are what's shaped me much more than the binary win-loss of hate Cal and et cetera and the tribalism that mm. often comes. Um, and so for me in politics, I'm team America and I have been given gifts from my Republican colleagues. Uh, one of my favorite moments was just walking into uh, Senator Jim Inhofe's office uh, to go to Bible study with him because I figure maybe we pray to the same God here. <laughs> I'm going to try to get to know this guy. And I walked in and my implicit biases, we all have implicit biases. My implicit bias was that I was shocked or surprised to see him in, on his mantle, a picture of him and a little black girl. And I was like, that doesn't make sense to me. And I asked him about it. It was his adopted daughter from a very difficult circumstance. And it later set up a, a situation where I was able to go to him on an issue to help foster and homeless kids everybody told me I could never get this amendment on a bill and he ended up partnering with me because we were we knew each other you know Brene Brown this writer I love she says it's hard to hate up close so pull people in Hmm. and so I believe so powerfully in what you said it moved me life is is about cooperation it is about finding common ground It is about not Newtonian physics, which is sort of this force and reaction. It is quantum physics, Hmm. where we're quantum entanglement. We are all connected to each other in ways that we do not understand. And we, America is in the balance right now. And I hate to get a little bigger in global politics to you, but our system of government, which I would, you and I both as Americans would probably be willing to die for this idea of freedom and liberty, is under assault right now authoritarian governments from, from uh, China to even Hungary and Turkey now are shifting away from democratic principles and ideals. We're, this is a test. Can multicultural democracy work that stands on principles of liberty, freedom, equality under the law and the like? These values are now under a test. We had a lot of decades where we demonstrated to the planet earth from beating the Nazis to going to the moon, to mapping the human genome that all, and all of those things took unimaginable cooperation but now we can't even get together and agree to bi- China just built 18,000 miles of high-speed rail, the busiest rail corridor in North America that goes from Boston to Washington, D.C. I'm not exaggerating, runs half an hour slower than it did in the 1960s.
0: Mm.
1: And so our generation, you and I, Team America, is losing its ability to come together and cooperate to get into the end zone. And that has me frightened and motivated. That's why my book was called United, trying to send a message to this country that we, the lines that divide us are nowhere near as strong as the ties that bind us.
0: I really appreciate you saying that. It makes a ton of sense. And even the Brene Brown quote about us bringing each other closer, your time is really valuable. I know you're jumping around. Um, so I wanna thank you for joining us. But one of the things I was most excited about was as I followed your career, getting people who listen to my podcast to hear about Senator Booker, the human, and yeah. and not have the Democratic Senator lead, because you've gotten flack from your party from having a great relationship with former Governor Chris Christie. Yeah. You have a great relationship with Senator Whitaker, Moran, Senator Tim Scott, and, and that's the type of stuff that we need to continue to embrace, but that advice, which now as we get out of this pandemic and our bubbles, which actually work towards more separation from each other, is yeah. so like, let's get out and, and have more conversations. So, again, really appreciate you sharing that. It's super important.
1: But I, I just want to just give my last appreciation of you because, you know, sports still is, ESPN has 10x, 50x more people watching it than Fox or or MSNBC. It, it, is, it is actually something that does bring us together. And there have been moving moments for me when I tune in and I hear, after George Floyd, different newscasters just being human in front of folks. Mm. And so for your ability to talk about humanity through a lens uh, of sports that draws people in, your voice is making more of an impact um, on our culture than I think you probably realize. And just even the questions you've asked me today and the uh, points that you have made, please just keep on keeping on. You are a light worker in, at a time that you come coming out of a pandemic and a lot of other challenges. It's just too much darkness. So just thank you. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk to your audience.
0: Of course, I appreciate that. W- worth noting that you often reference micro steps in the community and ways to contribute just a dollar here and there, or educate yourself for five minutes in your calendar once a week. So related to the College Athletes Bill of Rights, how can someone you know, follow along? I know that decisions are coming up this summer.
1: Yeah, we're, we're in negotiations now. I'm hoping we come down on it. I, I would just ask everybody. I've challenged myself to like, to know the providence of the clothing that I buy? Am I unconsciously participating in systems that are unjust? Mm. Food that I'm eating, how is it affecting the, i have gone out to visit the farmers, mm. uh, to visit the uh, farm workers, to visit, and seeing, making me more conscious. The little, the more you know, the better you're gonna do, because we we are a good people. But what often keeps us from being better agents of, of, of love is that we just don't know what's going on. So if you are a consumer, of sport, take an extra step to learn more about the people that are participating. If you are celebrating the the Stanford's win or the NCAA win, take a step more to understand because you will then be informed and see other ways that maybe you can participate in and change. And I I saw this, in fact, I put it on my Instagram account, Like we all have an obligation to be a little bit more evolved than the society in which we've come up. Mm. Because always society, we're not the same country we were 25, 50 years, thank God. Um, and so the only way that keeps moving forward is all of us take a little step to try to learn a little bit more and do a little bit better. Um, there is a unique good, I've, I, I've met a lot of people in my life, I'm telling you 99.9% of Americans were just were good people that wanna do good, but, but take responsibility for knowing. Mm.
0: Amazing. Senator Booker, thank you again. Really appreciate it. Hopefully we can do it again. I, w- I would honestly love to jump at the opportunities. So thank you. All right, today's show is incredible. Thank you to Senator Booker and his team for coming on. We're so grateful. And as the Senator puts it both gracefully and by example, quote, if you want extraordinary results, you must put in extraordinary effort. I'm gonna use that as a boilerplate answer with citation with citation, as more people ask me what it takes to become a Division I lacrosse player pro or even start a company. Now to the season recap. I want to give a shout-out to each of our guests who have joined us this season, starting with Mark Cuban, to Sue Bird, Tony Hawk, Tom Rothman, Steph Curry, Lindsey Vaughn, Jamel Hill, Alex Rodriguez, Paul Levesque, known as Triple H, in the ring, Abby Wambach, Don Garber, John Tavares, Ariana Huffington, Eric LeGrand, and the senator Cory Booker. When we set out to relaunch our 2017 to 2019 podcast, there was a lot of hesitancy due to timing, effort and resourcing into execution, booking talent, publishing, the list goes on. Though maybe I'll think about the extraordinary lesson again. Though I'll quickly flip to the extraordinary efforts by the team here on our podcast crew shows were produced and edited by Brett Roberts. He had support on occasion from Nick Bailey. Research was done by Andrew Manning. Graphics and design by Liam Murphy with oversight from Katie Scott. Coordinated by R.J. Kaminsky and our overtime newsletter weekly from Joe Keegan. If you haven't listened to the guests aforementioned I'd encourage you to do so and be sure if you do if you're interested to tweet at me with thoughts or recommendations on the show or for future guests I will respond to them. After all There will be a season four, better than ever. I'm not sure, but great. It'll be great. And more news on that will follow after this season, which starts in 20 days. This season is the premier lacrosse league season. So I'm off to practice fields to suit up in the more familiar equipment of my life, the helmet, gloves, elbow pads, head and handle. The PLL's season begins on June 4th. We announced that schedule a couple of months ago. The TV windows with NBC, NBC Sports, and Peacock are all out on our web and social. You can follow us at Premier Lacrosse for Twitter and at PLL on Instagram. You know where to find me and wish me some extra luck this season. This 35-year-old body will need all the luck he can get. And to our wonderful sponsors who made this show all possible. This one was presented by Public.com. They create a whole new way to invest. They make the stock market social so you can follow other investors like me and like Professor Scott Galloway, who is a two time Suiting Up podcast guest. You can then take any amount of your money and invest it in public companies. There are over a thousand of them. Visit public.com forward slash suiting up for your long term investments and $10 in free stock on me. Thanks again to Public. They set a great example for all startups to democratize industries that need to promote more access through diversity, equity, and inclusion, keep kicking ass public and out systems. They've provided the tools to help companies like the PLL quickly build apps for web and mobile. And when it came to our usage with them last year, that will continue on for years to come, they created our COVID app that was both medically safe for the times and given access to all of our players, front office members, and coaches, we'll be using them outside of the bubble now as we begin the season in a couple short weeks. Oh, and all of these shows were recorded remotely at the Ticketmaster podcast studio here in HQ, where I sat in a COVID-safe protocol with my producer, Brett Roberts, and all of our guests were virtually on screen. Ticketmaster... Provides this studio and much more for our company. They're our official ticketing partner of the Premier Lacrosse League. You can buy your tickets to our 2021 season at Ticketmaster.com. You can also buy and sell tickets for concerts, other sporting events, theater, and more. We created both a fan and player safe model as our priority for this upcoming season with joint COVID policy with the venues and a top seat manifest. Again, check out PL tickets at ticketmaster.com. If you haven't already subscribed to this show, consider giving us a five-star rating and a nice review. This is it for now, but we'll be back soon for season four.